everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Rotten Horror Picture Show, which is a horror movie podcast where we'll be talking about the top 200 best horror movies on RottenTomatoes.com. My name is Clay, and with me is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, hopefully, it's very cold and it's very isolated where you are right now <laughs> listening to this, because we're going to ju- we're jumping right in, mm-hmm. and the first movie that we're going to be talking about is number 101 on the list, which is The Shining. Now, uh, how familiar... You're a Stephen King person, right? Yes, I am. So I imagine you're very familiar with this movie. Yes, I am. When was the first time you (laughs) saw this movie? Oh, God. Um, Probably when I was about 13, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, I would say, in my opinion, old enough. In my dad's opinion, it was Mm. far too young. Yeah. Um, But I read the book first. I'm one of those people. Oh, we'll get into that. There's There's plenty to talk about there. Yeah, this one, this one, I, I actually realized as I was watching this that I think I, I saw this fairly young mm-hmm. uh, because I, I remember being very freaked out by the, uh, the, the creepy tub lady sequence. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think in ret- as I was watching it, it kind of pulled stuff out and I was like, I think I saw this when I was like 12. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was, I, I think my cousin like had these in the in the back case or something, and we were watching this in like Nightmare on Elm Street, and I don't, I think I realized I saw some of these movies probably very young. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a great one to start with. It's a classic movie, obviously. Um, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we'll get into it. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. Hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. (laughs) That's right. Mom? Do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. What did I do? I killed you with Danny. You did this to Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Here's Johnny. <laughs> All right, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, obviously directed by Stanley Kubrick. Screenplay by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, based on The Shining by Stephen King, starring Jack Nicholson. Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, and Danny Lloyd came out in 1980. Amanda, what is this movie about? This movie is about Jack Torrance, becomes winter caretaker at the isolated Overlook Hotel in Colorado, hoping to cure his writer's block. He settles in along with his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny, who is plagued by psychic premonitions. As Jack's writing goes nowhere and Danny's visions become more disturbing... Jack discovers the hotel's dark secrets and begins to unravel into a homicidal maniac, hellbent on terrorizing his family. Mm. Uh, five things you can expect to see in this movie are questionable parenting, mm-hmm. axe-based interior redecorating, mm-hmm. catfishing via sexy tub ghost, mm-hmm. aggressive type formatting, and moon landing conspiracy subliminal messaging. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting to that as well. Um, so the first thing that I noticed from rewatching this movie is I really need to upgrade my DVD yeah. because <laughs> it looked like dog shit yes. on my TV. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it's generally that kind of thing doesn't bother me with horror movies because I think a lot of horror movies, the grimier the print, the better. Yeah. Like I, The first time I ever saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I saw it on VHS on like a, an old TV. Nice. And it's still the best time I've ever seen it because mm-hmm. that, you know, some movies it just adds to. A movie like this is just so pristine because Mm -hmm. obviously stanley kubrick is a master filmmaker that um watching a movie that is in the a movie of his in the wrong aspect ratio uh Mm -hmm. from an sd dvd 
on a widescreen television where you can see all the digital stuff and everything. It, it didn't take me out of the movie, but it, it did stand out to me. Yeah, and when you're noticing that instead of noticing the details of the movie, it, it does detract somewhat from the experience, but yeah. it's still a pretty overwhelming film yeah. when you really get into it. Now, being so familiar with this, did you, did you mm-hmm. find anything... Did anything stand out new to you on this? When was the last time you watched this? Um, Maybe. This is the kind of film where I feel like most winters I come back to it. Yeah. Because it is such a great, like, just, I hope whoever is listening to this, if you watch this movie, mm. you do so on a dark, snowy night by yourself somewhere mm. because that's the best way to do it or with two other people you know yeah <laughs> and then you can feel really weird <laughs> about you it have afterwards. a really yeah. strained relationship with yes yeah so, um, oh, go ahead. oh sorry nope. uh, i guess something i noticed this time around was just how immediately maniacal jack nicholson mm. seems it makes it hard in a way for me at least to sort of feel any like empathy with mm-hmm. him because right off the bat he just seems so cruel so that's actually it's interesting you bring that up because i did want to talk about that because that i know that stephen king's big complaint yep well the biggest on a long list of complaints <laughs> is that in the book jack torrance his uh descent into madness mm-hmm or possession or whatever is a little bit more of a descent instead of just sort of like flicking a switch yeah and I I understand what he means, but I had that in my mind as I was watching this. And I actually think, for me anyway, his character and his relationship with his family is actually a lot more nuanced than I think they, a lot of people give it credit for. Really? Because... You know, one of the th- one of the details that stood out to me this time is, you know, obviously uh, the thing with Jack is that he's a recovering alcoholic mm-hmm. uh, who had an in- incident where he, you know, ripped his son's shoulder out of the socket. Yeah, after I wanted drinking. to put when you said incident, I wanted to immediately do scare quotes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, in the, at the beginning when uh, sh- when uh, Wendy's talking to the to the doctor, she mm-hmm. mentions that, and he's like, "Oh, it's you know, it's fine. It actually was good." <laughs> Uh, because he hasn't touched a, a drop in five months. Later on, Jack talks about that incident, and he says it was three years ago. So he hasn't. He's been sober for five months, but that incident was three years ago. So that wow. means that there was two two and three quarters years worth of him still drinking. Yeah. So yeah, or relapsing. Yeah, and i I started to read the move or his. I started to read more into the family dynamic in that their family is kind of on the brink to begin with. Yeah. Like it feels like him becoming sober is, excuse me, is uh, like the latest in a long line of things that they've tried to fix stuff. Yeah. And as he gets worse and worse, I started to read him not so much as, oh, he's just a crazy person from the start that goes crazy and blah, 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 blah. I was reading him as someone who is, he, because he effectively is blaming his entire life on Wendy, essentially. Yeah. And so I started thinking, oh, okay, so I wouldn't be, I bet, I bet Danny was probably an accident. Mm -hmm. Maybe they weren't planning on getting married or something like that and she got pregnant and so he he's viewing this family as the thing holding him back yeah and so when the ghosts come at him and they you know they can see that his uh, another thing is that he's he's got quite a wandering eye yeah i've noticed yeah when he's like yeah in that in the beginning when he's in the hotel and there's still uh guests and staff mm-hmm. there the day of his interview and then the month later when they come he comes with Wendy and Danny to sort of settle in and get started yeah there there are several women yeah. around that he he turns his head all the way around to see them and he's very weirdly i thought it was when he's in the lobby he's reading a magazine i thought it was mm-hmm. a playboy it's actually a playgirl apparently which i don't know what that implies but it's yeah. it's an interesting detail but yeah. <laughs> and also i mean not only is he checking out all the women who are there he falls for the sexy tub ghost yep you know and yeah the catfishing by sexy (laughs) tub ghost and once the other ghosts start showing up 
he very quickly goes onto their side because they are essentially presenting a welcoming, cool environment yeah. that he can use to get away from his family. Yeah, they're giving him an out. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I started to... I, I felt like his performance was actually informed more by the subtext I was reading out of the family situation than him just mm-hmm. being crazy from the start. But I mean, it's tough because Jack yeah. Nicholson looks like an insane person day to day. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, it's, it's, <clears throat> I, I guess the difference is if you're looking at it through the lens of how the movie differs from the book, mm-hmm. there's all the, the sort of ways it does in, in terms of action. But I, I think the characterizations of Jack and Wendy are the biggest departures from the book yeah because in the book she's a, a much more like for lack of a better term strong stronger willed character yeah. right yeah yeah and, yeah and, and that that i think is also one of stephen king's big complaints is that mm-hmm. i think he calls uh shelly duvall's portrayal of wendy uh the most misogynistic character to be put on film yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure that's maybe not exactly the quote but that's, that's pretty much it yeah um how do you feel about that um you know on the surface, I, I can see why somebody would feel that way. Mm-hmm. She is very um, deferential to Jack. But at the same time, when you take it in terms of uh, the time period, I mean, this movie was made, it came out in 1980. Yes. Um, so, you know, you're talking the 70s. There were more, you know, your husband is, is you're supposed to obey and respect him he is the head of the family the head of the house you are supposed to move around when he needs to move around and kind of do as he thinks the family should do Mm -hmm. but i do think wendy in the movie gets too much shit because she does yeah when shit gets real when jack is attacking her and she manages to knock him out Mm -hmm. in most other horror movies that would be the moment where she would drop the bat and run away right and instead she goes down there and drags his ass to the pantry and locks him in, which yeah. is the, the smartest thing I would argue anybody does in that film. Yes. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I think, you know, when, when the going gets tough, Wendy actually does what she has to do, which mm. I actually think is more impressive given how fearful she is of him through 90% of the movie for her to make that switch, I think shows an inner reserve of strength that a lot of people tend to ignore mm. just because she screams a lot. Yeah, and she's she's very much I feel like she is she clearly loves him more than he loves her. Yeah. And I I feel like she comes off as a lot more of a, a wilting flower in the in the early parts of the movies because she's it seems like she's just trying to keep everything together. Yeah. You know, she's she's very op- she's optimistic about the family and optimistic about the 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 caretaking and and Jack's book and everything. Yeah, and she she absolutely seems yeah, to she's have like a lot super of faith con- in it. Yeah, she's super supportive and he's yeah. just a dick to her. Yeah. Um <laughs> and that's that's one of the things I find so interesting about it because yeah, she even even after he threatens to bash her brains in, yeah. he hits she hits him in the head, knocks him out. And drags him into the thing and locks him up. And then when he's yelling at her, he she still stops to tell him what she's gonna do. She's like, right. I listen, I I I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave with Danny, and I'm gonna get a doctor and come back. Yeah. But you know, like she's she's holding on to whatever's left of, of this family that obviously yeah. is just I mean, exploded. But. She's trying to comfort him. Right. He's locked up and she feels so guilty for doing it that she's she's trying to comfort him and say you know, I'm sorry, but I have to leave you, but I won't leave you for long. I'll come back with help. Mm-hmm. You'll, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you look at it as she is a woman who has been dealing with a, a severely alcoholic husband, mm-hmm. uh, a child who, to her understanding, has some sort of illness. She knows something is going yeah. on with Danny, yeah. but she doesn't know what. And she's alone in that worry. Jack is not supportive of of that even way before the influence of the hotel and then a detail another detail that stood out to me on this watch through was that if you pay attention 
Wendy is the one doing the caretaker job the I whole damn that. time. Yes, I noticed that. All all Jack does is not right. Yes. And uh, Wendy takes care of all the day-to-day yeah. stuff. Yes, yeah. she takes care of him. She takes care of Danny. And she's the one taking care of you. There's a scene where she's down in the boiler, yeah. the boiler room, and she's making sure everything's running okay. Mm-hmm. And she's going up to the CB radio to check on the phone lines. And like she's just kind of quietly taking care of business that whole movie. And so I think she gets a bad rap. I think so too. And I think I think labeling her I think it gets tough when when you get into saying something like she's the most misogynist character ever put to film or something like that yeah. because I feel like by saying that you are implying that the intent of the filmmaker is to is to be uh dismissive of to her as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference is and Hopefully what I'm going to say does counteract what I just said. Uh-oh. Um, is that the, the, you're kind of seeing her through the lens of the way Jack is treating her, yeah. which is very much fairly misogynist, you know, I, I, quite a bit actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's why she reads that way. But I mean, yeah. if you look at her actions in the movie, I don't think she's written to be... I think if she was written to be a misogynist character, she would be way less capable than she is. Yeah, Because like absolutely. you said, she's taking care of the whole place. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, she is... Uh, not only is she the most um, realistically looking afraid person I've ever seen in a movie, yeah. but uh, when it comes down to it, she is a proactive... Mm-hmm. Uh, as as much as you can be in that situation, as far as saving her son and saving herself, yeah. Um, and uh, she ends up getting out of there. She's she saves her son. I mean, her son helps saves himself, but yeah. Um, but she never gives up looking for him either. Right. She never goes and like cowers and locks herself in one of the rooms. Uh, she she know she never stops searching for Danny, and she's alone in this hotel and starts seeing these horrifying things. Mm-hmm. And she knows her husband is trying to murder her with an axe. Right. And instead of cowering and crying or trying to run away, she tries to run towards him mm-hmm. because she's looking for her son. So mm-hmm. I I just yeah I think she shows a lot of strength that people tend to overlook because. Shelley Duvall sounds the way she does yeah. and her face looks the way she does. And, and she's she's so convincing. Yeah. In the part that she's playing. I you know, I think the scene that stood out the most to me uh this time through is the um uh all work and no play through up through the uh gimme the bat scene. Yeah. I thought that whole scene was amazing. Not yeah. only because of like the way it starts with that oh I'm sorry. Um I'm thinking of the nightmare scene, although that, that's the, the, the all work mm. and no play scene is great, obviously. But I, the one that stood out to me really was the scene where Jack's having the nightmare. Yeah. And then she comes in and he's like, I had a nightmare about chopping you all up into pieces. Yeah. And then Danny oh, comes boy. out and he's got the marks on his neck and she reacts to that by reacting to Jack based on his previous history with what's been going on there. And yeah. it's, I thought that whole thing was just in the cutback to Jack Nicholson where he's just like. <laughs> you know, he's got that like he's got a look on his face that is is so I don't know if I could tell someone to do this like as a director, but he has the look on his face of someone who just woke up and is being a, a, accused of abusing his son. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's this look where he's like it's a very specific emotion. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, like it's But at the same time, I, I would argue that that expression has a lot in common with a lot of the shots of of Jack Nicholson's face and I sidebar just want to say there are so many great close-up shots of faces Mm -hmm. like this movie was so perfectly cast in terms of like people who can make these expressions that almost transform their face from a human face into like a mask like Mm. portrayal of just like pure terror Mm. um but in Jack Nicholson's case, there's that great scene, like maybe halfway through the movie, when Wendy and Danny are outside playing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Jack, yeah. Jack is in his his writing area, and he's just staring out the window, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of head ever so slightly tilted down, yep. mouth ever so slightly open, eyes looking up from under those eyebrows, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. Yeah, the cold, no. cold blue light on his face. Oh, yeah. God, it's so good. Yeah. I have to say, and this is going to, don't be afraid when I say this because it's going to sound weird. Uh-oh. 
I watching this now as someone who works in a creative industry identified with Jack <laughs> way too much. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because um not the f- second half of the movie, right, the first half right, of the no. movie, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, Clay, cuz you've yeah. murdered so many people. Shut up. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, when Stephen King wrote this, um it's one of his most autobiographical books. Mm. Um, he had a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. He was going through a rough period in his in his life, in his marriage. He wasn't writing. And so I think that's part of the reason why he takes, and I'm obviously very much just, you know, speculating. You know him. Speculating. You, I know ca- him you call him at home, yes. Yeah, me and Steve, we're good friends. Um, but I, I think part of, maybe part of the reason he takes such umbrage with... Maximum Overdrive is actually about you, <laughs> right? <laughs> How did you know? Um, that you know why King dislikes Kubrick's version of yeah, The Shining so much that. is that yeah. he feels like no, no, no. But Jack is a good man mm. deep down, whereas in Kubrick's version, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, like I, I, I just even from the very beginning, where the only time you see Jack acting happy when he's alone with his family is when he's gleefully telling his five-year-old son about the Donner party. Yes. Yeah. And he has the same sort of vibe later on when he's in the, uh, in the men's room with Grady mm-hmm. and he's saying, no, I recognize you. Mm-hmm. You chopped your wife and daughters up in the little bits with an ax. And yeah. he's got that same like gleeful, like a kid in a candy and store. That, and through that whole sequence, he's at his most happiest because he's away yeah. from his family yes. and he's at a party yeah. with people who are like, no, your money's no good here. Yeah. The house is telling you, you can drink as much as you exactly. want. Like he's, he's, he's very much a, for lack of a better term, he's kind of a loser. I mean, he's an addict. Yeah, he's an addict, and he's not to say that all addicts are losing. No, absolutely not. I just not. mean that it's the symptoms of yeah. that sort of illness where you can't see beyond your own experience and your own pain right. and yeah. your own needs because you're consumed by your addiction. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even needs. It's just like what he thinks is going to fix things. Yeah, because he's so depressed about the position that he's in, mm-hmm. like the. Uh, Going back to the scene, the uh, the baseball bat scene and, and, and the mm-hmm. all work and no play scene, the way that he explains what a contract is yeah. to Shelley Duvall <laughs> oh is just God. like like the, 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 the bile he spits at her explaining how he has a set of responsibilities that she can't even understand the stuff that he's going through. And she's doing the whole work. Right, exactly. She's doing everything. Yeah, that's the irony of that yeah. statement. Absolutely. And I like... So I, I am I'm a giant like lit nerd and an English major and all of that bullshit. Um, so I'm very attentive to like specific vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this might have been the first time I caught. I mean, I'm sure I heard it before, but this time it really stood out. That Jack refers to Wendy when she's not around as the old sperm bank. Yes. Which is a really horrifying way to gross. refer to yeah. a woman at all, especially your wife. Yeah. <laughs> That stuff like that was what was really driving home to me. It's like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. He's blaming yeah. everything on her. I mean, he, it's, I'm not a fucking genius. I think he says that, <laughs> but like, it's I, I was. It's the first yeah. time that I really started pulling out the subtext of what the family situation is and how he feels about, it. and yeah. it's what makes him so. Um, uh, vulnerable to the ghosts and such a yeah. like an open wound for them to get into because he's already kind of halfway there on his own. Yeah. Um, so I I'm curious because there's there's a theory that there's many theories about this. About oh yes. This movie. Have you watched Room Two Thirty Seven? I did. Yeah. Not recently. I I kind of wish I had rewatched it for before we recorded this. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I'm glad I did not because I think it kind of clutters up the. Oh, definitely. The, yes. The canvas. Um. Yeah. Room 237, if you're not familiar, is a documentary that came out a few years ago. Documentary in, you know, inverted commas, as they say overseas. <laughs> um, the, is, uh, it's a documentary about a bunch of different people who have very specific readings of The Shining, which are very uh, conspiracy theory based, I guess is the best yeah. way to put it. For yeah. instance, so it's one is that um, it's the entire movie is about how Kubrick actually helped fake the moon landing. Yep. Another reading of it is that the entire thing is actually an, an, uh, uh, an allegory about the native American genocide, yep. uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, 
I don't think I'd call it a good move, a great movie. However, because mm-hmm. like when you're watching it, you just kind of keep rolling your eyes. Right. I've watched it like five times. <laughs> well, because it's so much. It, it it it's it's everybody doing that thing that we all yeah. love to do with the movies and and the songs and the media that we love, which is dig really deep into the details yeah. and dissect it and try to like crack the code and, and find something that others haven't found before you. And as far as it goes as a movie itself, the there's just something oddly I don't know if sublime is the right word, but like the way that listening to these people talk about this crazy nonsense, plus the amazing soundtrack, which I have yeah. on vinyl because it's unbelievable. And they the, they use clips from all of these other Kubrick movies to tell the story essentially. Mm-hmm. It's just like a really satisfying thing to just sort of like let wash over you. Yeah. Um but anyway, back to sorry, back you were saying. Well, I was I was bringing up these conspiracy theories because Mm -hmm. there was one that I hadn't encountered until I was doing a little preliminary research before we recorded this, Mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, I wish I remembered the person who wrote an entire thing about it, um, that Jack is molesting Danny. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There's a whole reading of the movie where that's a subtext. Huh? Yeah. I... (laughs) Don't I can't. I'm say, going there. I'm going there. Yeah, Clay. I can't say that I I caught that myself. But how do how do you feel about that? With that in mind, watching it this time, you know, I I don't agree that it's a that that Kubrick like put in hints towards sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it needs to be that because Danny is an abused child already. Right. right. Like I, I think the things that others are reading in is like. Uh, you know, some sort of like sexual molestation from Jack to Danny. It doesn't have to be that. It's just the physical and the emotional abuse and Danny witnessing his dad abuse his mom as well. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I think all of that has the same yeah. oh, I, sort of psychological I guarantee impact. you that he's hit her before. Oh, absolutely. Even if you don't see it and even if they don't bring it up, guarantee yeah. that's happened. Yeah. yeah. If, if he's, if he's dislocated Danny's shoulder, yeah. who, who I, I do even in this film, I genuinely believe the character portrayal that Jack loves Danny. Yes. I do believe that. Yes, yeah. So if he's willing to do that to the one person that he seems to actually love as much as he, maybe close to as much as he loves himself, I can't imagine what he's been willing to do to Wendy. Yeah. I think he loves Danny, but I think he still puts Danny in the same boat as, as Wendy of like, I think I think that's where you get children is where this kind of stuff gets tough because I mm. think he very much blames Wendy for a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think Danny is part of that. Yeah. But he's still his son. Right. So I think that like, I, you're right. He definitely does love him, but obviously it doesn't stop him from trying to kill him with an axe at the end of the movie. Yeah. And I, and I think it's one of those kind of stereotypical like whenever Danny does something wrong or bad, he can attribute it to Wendy. Right. Right. Well, that's that's you know, you're just like your mother in that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder if, since it's such an autobiographical book for Stephen King, mm-hmm. do you think on top of Jack being portrayed as a, a fairly irredeemable character uh, and that hitting too close to home for him if Jack is kind of based on himself, yeah. do you think he takes offense with the Wendy character because yes. Wendy is based on his wife? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because f- yeah, for all in, from from everything that, you know, is out in public... He seems to really genuinely adore his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see him, you know, watching this and thinking like, oh, my God, absolutely yeah. not. Like, if you if you're the writer of the book and like your yeah. read of the story is that Wendy is this shining beacon of 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 uh, of uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like kind of the save the savior of yeah. Danny. And she's like this. She's the best part of the relationship. And she's like yeah. not up on a pedestal, but she's like a, a very well uh loved by him character yes then yes i would take offense too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> if they turned if they turned this this uh right this character that you created character yeah into this sort of tribute screaming woman. To, yeah this tribute to your your long-suffering yes. wife who you think is like the epitome of goodness mm-hmm. and has put up with all your shit and then yeah that's the translation that most of most of the world ends up being familiar with yeah i, I could see being offended by that yeah uh, but yeah, just going back briefly to how much I identify with Jack, uh, I was watching it and <laughs> oh, like... you really need to put that axe away. I was just... I was starting to personally cringe watching this because of stuff like... 
um, how cranky he would get while he was working. And <laughs> apparently the scene, the scene where he's typing and, and Wendy comes in and says, oh, I'll make you a sandwich. And he like yeah. flips out on her. Yeah. And he says, uh, apparently Jack Nicholson ad-libbed the line, uh, even if you don't hear me typing, don't come in. Because he mm. said that he was... As as a writer himself, he was mm-hmm. drawing on his own experiences of being a dickhead to his own family wow. while he was trying to work. And I was watching that, and I was like, God, I know I've done stuff like this. <laughs> not not to this degree. But like I was I, I was hope not. No, 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 no. But it was like there was an element of it where I could I could see down the road if I was a worse person. That yeah. stuff coming out. I'm like, yeah. oh I, I I identify with this mindset of like trying to write aggressively procrastinating yeah <laughs> like aggressively procrastinating throwing a ball loudly uh keeping odd the, the the first thing that got me was that like he gets there and he's like yeah i'm gonna do all this work and he's supposed to be writing and all this kind of stuff and the first thing that they tell you is that he's just staying up real late and getting up real late and that's yep. if you know me you know that i keep odd hours <laughs> so the first time that i seeing that i was like oh this isn't good i just need to not <laughs> this is hitting too close to home yeah Luckily for me, he goes overboard and starts getting real crazy. But uh, and then I didn't identify with it anymore. But there was when it when it was getting into that stuff of like the process of a of a a creative person. Yeah. I was cringing on the inside a little bit because I could I could see some of I, I could identify with some of the stuff that he was doing. Unfortunately, yeah, and and I think that's part of why both the book and the movie are so effective at being scary mm-hmm. um, because not, not to go too deeply into the book because this is a movie podcast. Um, but Jack Torrance in the book, the shining decides to write his book on the overlook hotel because while he's oh, yeah. doing his caretaking, he finds this sort of treasure trove full of like original documents and letters to and from different guests and all of this this material that's really amazing in terms of its value historically and it's the stories that it's telling and then through that work through that attempt at a creative process Mm -hmm. he starts to slowly descend into madness and i think that's what's so relatable for people who are writers, musicians, artists, filmmakers, mm-hmm. is that like you get so entrenched in the world you're trying to build creatively that you stop prioritizing the actual world around mm. you the way you should. It's interesting because they, they play it differently in the movie because that's mm-hmm. not what's happening to him. No. He's just... He's just an asshole. He's, he's an <laughs> asshole who is aggressively unproductive. Yes. And so his unproductivity is then coming out in a, in being more aggressive. Shi- yeah, shitty to his family. Yeah. And uh uh so that's really interesting because they they kind of I I noticed this time that they sort of hint at what you're talking about as far mm-hmm. as him looking up the histories of the of the 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 hotel. Yeah. Because there's a certain point where he's writing and he's got a bunch of like old picture books open and stuff. And also when uh he goes into the bathroom with Grady yeah. He says, I recognize you. You're Grady. You're the caretaker. And I, I've always been like, how the hell would he know what that guy looks like? And I, it, yeah. this time I was like, oh, he's doing, he's reading stuff. He must be doing research on the, on the, the hotel. On the he hotel. must have, he's like, he, cause he says, I saw a picture of you. So I assume it's probably in that, in that research. But yeah, they, they, the fact that they don't go into what he's actually trying to write. Right. Makes, is what makes it so universal of a thing for me. Yes. Because it's not like he's doing something super specific and that thing is then influencing him. It's just he is trying to do a go through a creative process and he's really failing at it. Yeah. And it's 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 bad for everyone around him and I was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ugh. it's bad for him, it's bad for his family. It's just it's just all around bad. Um so you mentioned we I think we both at this point have mentioned the character Grady. Mhm. Uh, I'm curious what you think about the fact that Ullman, Mr. Ullman at the beginning, mm-hmm. calls calls him Charles. Uh, he calls him Charles Grady. Okay. And then when Jack meets him, he calls him Delbert Grady. Oh, I never caught that. Yeah, isn't That's that That's interesting. That, like, somebody like... If this were another movie, I might assume that it was just a fuck up. Yeah. But where it's Stanley Kubrick, I feel like there's got to be something behind that. Yeah, I. That's really interesting. Also, I've always thought that that character was kind of strange because he is supposed to just be just that one. Well, 
we'll get the to man the, in the dog yeah, suit. We'll get to the dog suit in a minute. <laughs> um, because he is this character who Jack recognizes as the caretaker, but uh-huh. he's very clearly an English guy with an English family. And I just always thought that it was weird that this character who was the caretaker of a hotel in Colorado was an English guy. I don't know why that is, but I, it's so the fact that he's Delbert Grady, but they call him Charles Grady at the beginning. I don't know. They're, they're, so I wonder if part of that is one of the things that they do point out in room 237 that mm-hmm. I actually think is it's one of those things that people grasp onto, especially in this movie. But I think it's not what they think it is, but it is 100% accurate what they're seeing, which is Kubrick lays out a level of um, un- discomfort and unease yes. by the way he handles the things in his shots yeah. and the way he handles the things that aren't in his shots. Mm. So there are some scenes, if you notice, they talk about this in the documentary, they actually lay it out, which is interesting. The layout of the Overlook Hotel yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, it's like physically impossible. Yeah, The first one being when Jack goes into the office for the interview, that office is like in the middle of the hotel and there's like a hallway behind it. There should be. But when they sit down, there's a big bright window looking yeah. outside. And it's just and there are some scenes where uh, the one shot, there'll be a chair in the background and then the next shot, the chair will be gone. Oh, um, if you notice when they go, when Halloran is showing them through the uh, the freezers, yep. they go in one door and they come out a different door that is physically impossible for them to have done. Huh. Because they go in on, uh, if if you're looking down the hallway and they're walking towards you, they go in on the left and they come yeah. out on the right. And, oh. and it doesn't connect. Oh, wow. So you could chalk that up to maybe there's a deleted scene or something where they go into the other one. But that's that's not how it works. It's, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just, it's the same freezer. They come out a different door. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there. And I think that all of that stuff is in, is completely intentional. Yeah. Because it creates this level of unease and weirdness. Like Absolutely. The, the, the room that they stay in. Also doesn't make any sense because if yeah. you look at the hallway, if I remember this correctly, the door they go into, there is another door way too close <laughs> to for, <laughs> to for there to be rooms on either room, side. Yeah, for, for the, the size of the place that they're living in. Yeah. There's a door next to their door that implies another room to a different room yeah. that just wouldn't make any sense. And I think it's it's a really smart, subtle, subliminal way to kind of just keep you off off guard a little bit absolutely and so i you know the the only reason i would push back against it maybe it's just a fuck up or i the only reason i would say maybe it's just a fuck up is Mm because also apparently they were rewriting the script like daily oh right like that's why there's no like extant version of the the script is because they would just be constantly changing things and rewrites jack nicholson there's actually there's a making of documentary on the dvd Mm. and i was watching some of it and there's a point where jack nicholson uh kubrick's mom is actually at at, on the set and they're just kind of sitting hanging out talking to her and she's she asks about the script and she's like i noticed there's so many different colored pages what is that about and stanley says well every time there's new pages to keep it separate so you know what new, what's new and stuff, you do a different color. And she's like, oh, oh that's interesting. And, and Nicholson says uh, something to the effect of, yeah, I don't even look at the script anymore yeah. because <laughs> I just, whatever's new for the day, I just read that. And she kind of chuckles and goes, oh, are you, you're joking. He's like, nope. Yeah. That's just what I, that's what I do now. Yeah. So maybe a fuck up, but I can't mm. imagine it is because he's yeah. so, if you're, if you're famous for, T- doing a hundred takes in your movie and being very yeah. precise about framing it. I, I, it's a, the reason that I would say that's not a fuck up is the same reason that I don't think that he faked the moon landing <laughs> because the, the only reason that people think the moon landing was faked is because they, mm-hmm. they claim that they could see the strings, you know, quote unquote, see oh, the strings. Right, right, right. If Stanley Kubrick oh, God. shot the moon landing footage, no, it would, you would not know. It, it would, would be, be immaculate. the most perfect representation of of moon landing you've ever seen yes. in your life so that's that's the big breaker for for that, no, that that's a really that's a good point i like that um so my my interest in like grady and and many other elements of this movie is the concept of doubling mm. that there are just doubles of okay. everybody and everything everywhere and if you start seeing them in this movie you cannot stop really it, there's, well, there's the twins, obviously. There's the twins, the doorways. Almost all the doors have double doors. Okay. The elevator is two elevators. 
uh, the maze itself is perfectly symmetrical, so right. it's a double of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wendy calls the hotel itself an enormous maze, mm-hmm. which means that the hedge maze and the hotel are their own doubles. And then something that I started to notice is whenever Jack talks to a ghost, the like two, because it only really happens two times. Mm-hmm. He, he, well, to two ghosts, I should say. Um, he talks to the bartender, Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And he talks to Grady in the bathroom. Right. He's facing mirrors. Okay. Yeah. Good, so good I, call. I think there's a very like, he's kind of, you know, you can make the argument that he's talking to himself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah I, that's and really I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that's very compelling about this movie is when, when you start seeing these little details, it's the reason why I think people love to watch yeah. this movie and dig into all these small yeah. elements and oh, the stylistic choices. And, and I, details. you know, I, I know it's really easy to uh you know poo poo and hand wave that stuff yeah but it's like that's the mark of a good move of a really immersive experience yeah. is when you can look at it it's from so many different angles and just get something different out of it every time yeah like that's the reason i you know i love the movie mulholland drive oh it's so good 90 percent of the reason i love it is because i still don't know what the hell yeah. it's about <laughs> and like i've i've watched it a hundred <laughs> times and every time i come away going like i think it's about this and then it changes the next time i watch look, it. look when we're done recording i'll tell you exactly what it's about okay <laughs> Um, so two questions. Mm. How do you feel about Dick Halloran as a character? Uh, let's start with that one. Then we'll get into the next one. I love Dick Halloran. Yeah. I, I, I think he is the only actual human being in that entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? That's like, a good way to put it. He's yeah. sort of the only one who has like any warmth to him. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is very like, even Wendy, who I think is a very gentle person and a very kind person she's so fearful and nervous and sort of withdrawn and and kind of like tentative in everything she does that you don't get any real vibrancy or warmth from her. And you certainly don't from Jack who is uh, such a cold, cold person until he goes completely insane. Right. Uh, And then Danny, when you, when you see poor traumatized Danny, he's very interior. He's very withdrawn and Halloran is just, he's, he's funny, he's friendly, he wants to talk to people, he's clearly got, you know, a whole life going on outside mm-hmm. of Well, he doesn't seem hotel. like he's got a lot going on, but... <laughs> well, you know, he goes to Miami. That's true, he's, yeah. You know, he, his, he... The reveal of his room is one of the funniest oh things God. I've ever hey, seen. Hey, that's more doubling. There are that's two, a good point. Very good point. Two portraits of beautiful naked ladies. Yeah. Um, There's only two black guys in the movie? Yeah. There you go. There you go. We yeah. can see you can keep doing it all yeah. day. The other guy... Uh, is uh, is his shit? I can't uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he is Apollo Creed's trainer from Rocky. Oh, yes. Huh. Trivia for people only go. like me that would care about that. And clip. that is your moment of clay trivia yes. for this episode. Yes. Um, no, I, I I love Halloran. Um, I'm always very sad when he gets killed. So that's the thing that I'm, that I find so interesting about him is cause I forgot how much time they spend on Dick Haller and traveling. Yeah. Because they, cause they, and I, I, I can't decide how I feel about it because they spend a lot of time with him checking in on them at the hotel and then ultimately yeah. traveling. You like watch him go through the steps of traveling to the hotel mm-hmm. Only to ultimately show up and get an axe in the chest right away. Yeah. And part of me feels like that's a little cheap because then Dick ultimately only becomes... You spend all that time with him as a long-winded way to to present them with a way to get out of there because the, yeah. his snow yeah, cat is still the there. Yeah, he brings the working snow cat. But I also kind of appreciate it because it's such a... um unexpected move to spend so much time yeah like him getting worried him going up there him trying to find a way to get through the snow painting him as a uh, potentially the one who's going to save them right and then he immediately gets killed yeah so i think it goes either way where i i i i think ultimately i like it more than i don't like it yeah i i I think i sadly have to say sadly because again i wish he didn't have to die he's great he is really great he's great he's he's just so charming um, but I, I like it because it's sort of a pattern throughout the whole film. If you pay close attention to the things that Kubrick dis- decides to spend time on, mm-hmm. like there are moments where 
everything slows way, way down. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of moments like that with Danny. Mm-hmm. A lot of moments of just Danny kind of slowly walking down a hallway well, or slowly backtracking in the hedge maze. The moment, that. the moment, the, the time they spend with Dick traveling, yeah. I, I, I realized at this point, comes at a point in the movie where in every other movie, it's like right after the scene with Grady, more or less, yeah, in the bathroom. And that's the point where in most movies, things would start picking up and go getting into high gear right like he's seen the ghosts he's like okay i'm gonna kill my yeah, family he's committed <laughs> yeah i think there i can't remember exactly what happens after that scene but there's like one instance where there's a uh i think where he and wendy are cross paths and butt heads and usually that's where it's like okay this is where it's going to start going and going but then they grind it to a halt yeah and they do the stuff with dick Yep. And they cut back to, to Wendy and, and Danny sort of just sort of... Like sitting in the apartment yeah. eating cereal, really, and watching yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Like like all of a sudden everything goes from like, you know, you as an audience member are sort of like, all right, here we go. Like, mm. I'm ready. Here's where shit's going to get real. Yeah. And yeah, then it just, it stops and it makes you continue to wait, which is, yeah. I think, what makes things so crazy when they do start happening mm-hmm. is is that you... Kubrick makes you wait for so long mm-hmm. that you almost give up. Like you're almost just sort of like, yeah, okay, all right, all right. And he does it visually too. Yeah. Because the thing that's so interesting, uh, I noticed this time is there's it's mostly there's not a lot of like horror lighting and yeah. like camera setups for the most part. There's some creepy stuff, but generally uh the look of it I think is incredibly dated. I think that's the, the really? yeah. I think that's yeah. the the biggest <laughs> problem with it for me at this point is that it's it's so over designed in a good way but it's over designed of the time that it was made yeah so it feels hyper of the time that it was made it doesn't really feel like timeless because everybody's got like late 70s clothes and hair yeah. and stuff well, and it's, it feels it, it's, old it's crazy to me because when i realized that this came out in 1980 i was shocked yeah it feels older than that. yeah exactly it, it feels like it, it must have felt old even when it came out mm. which is an interesting like is that on purpose i don't know maybe it just took them five years to make it i don't know how long it took <laughs> probably um but also the I, I felt like, oh, the, the, the lighting is fairly normal except for a little couple bits where you get, you know, that shot of Jack where he's like looking out the window yeah. and stuff. The, the lighting's a little funky there. But it he he really eases into the horror stuff yeah by uh, the, scene, the scene where uh, Danny writes Red Rum on the door. There's this one lamp that's like shining this V of light up onto the, the ceiling. Mm. And it's that's the first time the lighting gets really dramatic. And then it just keeps rolling from there where lights start going out. Yeah. He starts doing stuff in hallways without lights on. Right. And then you've got the scene in the maze, which is unbelievable. Like visually is unbelievable. Yeah. And I think the weakest part of the movie for me is actually the sequence where Wendy is running around the hotel. That is exactly what I I was just going to ask you, um, not to cut you off, but Mm. like specifically in that scene, how did you feel about the inclusion of the sort of, um, shall we say, stereotypically haunted house style it f- trappings? It felt like a haunted house. It yeah. felt like she was going through like a haunted house you'd go to. Yeah, like, like the YMCA yeah. put it on. Minus yeah. minus the dog suit guy doing whatever he was doing in that room. You don't want to know. No. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, because the stuff in the maze is so is so fantastic looking. Yeah. And then they keep cutting back to Wendy running through the hotel. And Skeletons! it's like, yeah. You know, just skeletons hanging out yeah, and a cobwebs. guy with blood on his face and, you know, cobwebs. And I a, like when she sees the room covered in cobwebs and just starts screaming and like. Yeah, yeah. She turns the corner. It's cobwebs. And she's like, oh, ah, ah. and it's like that's where it falls apart a little yeah. for me because that stuff yeah. feels kind of hokey. I mean, I guess if you look at it from poor Wendy's point of view, she's already gone through so much that yeah. any, any turning the corner True. and seeing any I mean, unexpected honestly, thing. For is me, like, though, I, I kind of feel the other way. Like she's gone through so much where if she turns the corner and sees cobwebs she'd be like oh thank god yeah that's it yeah. oh it's not my husband with an axe trying to kill me yeah Hooray. i mean the, the the elevator exploding in blood that's a different story right but. that that one i think is a fair a fair reaction yeah and uh you know another thing i think is interesting to talk about on this show i want to i want to bring up episode to episode is uh the body count yes or the lack of body count yes or i should say the body count and the survivor count because this movie only Technically, if you if you don't count Jack, only one person dies in this yeah. movie. And if you count Jack, only two. Yes. 
Which is also another doubling because two people survive in this movie. Uh huh. Um, see, see, now I got you doing. Yeah, it. no, it's shit. When are they doing the sequel <laughs> of that Room Two Thirty Seven movie? <laughs> We're gonna make it. Yes, this is it. Uh, this is only going to be two hundred episodes about just The Shining and our theories about it. Two hundred and thirty-seven episodes, oh, Clay. Jeez. <laughs> well, that's not a double. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the body count is very low, but and the I'm more fascinated. I think in the survivor count of these movies because depending yeah. on how many people survive it usually means a very different thing movie to movie yeah um and i think in this case it's absolutely necessary to have both wendy and danny survive obviously yeah. which is kind of why dick feels more of a like a throwaway because it's like mm. someone's got to get killed in this movie yeah so well, let's bring dick back. i know he comes back in the in the book but he yeah. does survive in the he book he does yeah um but yeah I think the 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 you need to have someone to kill in a movie about a guy killing you know running around with an axe. So yeah. unfortunately, Dick was that guy. Oh, poor Dick Halloran. How? Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about because I've noticed a lot of people talk about this in general with horror movies, and I I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of soundtracks. Yeah. Because especially with horror movies, I think they go they they usually stand out quite a bit, and so I I do want to touch on the music in these movies, and. Uh, the music in The Shining mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. And that opening piece that they play, which is uh, is a pre-existing piece called... Uh, oh, really? I don't exactly know how to pronounce it. I think it's Latin. It's uh, Die... It's spelled D-I-E-S-I-R-A-E. I think it's D-S-R-A. Sounds good to me. sequence attributed to a uh, couple people I never heard of. <laughs> and wave that away. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it's it's based on a, a Latin medieval poem characterized by, uh, you know, you don't care about this stuff. Anyway, it's it's a very, it's <laughs> very a very, old. yeah, it's a very haunting uh, kind of three or four note descending kind of thing. Yeah. And it's used very effectively to set the mood right away. Because the, the beginning of the movie is fairly light. It's, yeah. you know, driving on a road, going to a job interview. Yeah. But when they set all of that stuff behind, bum, 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 you know, yeah. it yeah, automatically if, becomes very ominous. If you had just seen that that beautiful opening shot mm. uh, where it's kind of, you know, the, the camera just kind of coasting over this water and the reflection of the trees. It's this beautiful mountain scene. If you set that to a different soundtrack, it could be some like America our beautiful country, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Like, it could be very uplifting. It could have been very, you know, folksy. Ridley like, Scott, Clay's trivia corner number two, uh, Ridley Scott actually used unused footage from that driving sequence for yeah. the original cut of Blade Runner. Oh. where uh, You've seen Blade Runner, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. Of course I have. Okay, I didn't know. That oh was going, I could have gone either way. <laughs> I'm laughing at you asking me that. Have I, you met it, me? I thought it was a laughing because you hadn't seen it. And you knew I was going to react negatively. Clay, I've, literally, I have seen it with you. Moving on. <laughs> uh, the the original cut of Blade Runner has a much more happy ending where uh, uh, Deckard and Rachel drive away. Yeah. And they you know start their life together. And they needed shots like that. And I think uh, I think it was they were shooting The Shining like next door or something or editing the shining next door. So Ridley <laughs> Such Scott a weird thought. I know Ridley Scott just grabbed some footage from that and used that for the, uh, the overhead oh, shots of like Decker and Rachel ending. driving away. Wow. Yeah. Um, Clay's trivia corner number two. Yes. So the other thing I wanted to ask to wrap up, cause I, I was, I watching it this time, you know, it's, it's called the shining. Yes. They have the sequence where Dick is telling Danny all about the shining but the shining itself isn't really the focus of the story. Right. You know? And so I was thinking like is is the is Danny what the ghosts are after? So is like is is cuz Dick is like oh the the this place responds to think places shine like people shine. Yeah. Are they essentially going after him 
and using his father to get to him. Is is that how you would read it, or do you think I'm I'm thinking about it too much? No. So um, again, and I I know I'm going to be that person. I keep going back to the book, mm-hmm. uh, but that's very much what it is in the book. Oh, it is. And okay. and I think in the book it's made much clearer mm-hmm. um, because the sort of implication that is again much clearer in the book is that um, Danny's ability is kind of quote unquote waking the hotel up. I see. Okay. So these things are starting to not only manifest, but be able to like impact physical reality because they're sort of using Danny like a battery. Uh, Right. So they get stronger when he's there. So in the book, the hotel is trying to get Jack to kill Danny so that it will be able to absorb all of his power mm. and and it will sort of feed itself and become stronger. In the movie, I'm not so sure that that's what's going on. Yeah. Um because Danny seems like a uh you know, sort of a, a casualty, a potential casualty in the way that uh Grady's daughters were because okay. there's the anecdote about Oh, Grady talks about, you know, my daughters didn't like the Overlook at first mm, either. One of them even down. tried to burn yeah. it down. Um, I think that, you know, the film is much more from Jack's point of view. Right. I think it's much more focused on his experience and and kind of him as the focal point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's punctuated by the very end where mm-hmm. it zooms in to that photo of the Overlook Hotel, 4th of July ball, 1921. Right, right. And it's Jack Torrance front and center mm-hmm. with a big old smile on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious how, given given that photo, like how do you read that that photo, the inclusion of that? What do you think that kind of means? I, I always took it to mean that, um, you know, he was just part of the hotel now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always thought that the focusing on the year was kind of weird because mm. um, I, I like part this time I was thinking is it supposed to be like he's Jack is like the reincarnation of of the Grady spirit or something like that because you know like the caretaker spirit or something right but I was like ah, that's a little on the nose I think <laughs> it, I, I always I always just took it to be like now his ghost is part of the you know the ghosts in the house essentially I am probably going to do this, say this person's name wrong, but I'm pretty sure there is an interview that Kubrick gave with um, uh, somebody named Michael, I want to say Cement, it's like C-I-M-E-N-T, I think, Okay, where he pretty much said that the reincarnation thing was like- Oh, really? Was what he was- uh, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. We can do a little post post recording yeah, Googling and everybody anybody who might listen to this should look it up too. Um because yeah, I I, I didn't I didn't know that. Hmm. I had no, I had always read it the way that you just said it, Clay. Mm-hmm. Um but then when I was poking around on the internet recently, I saw that and was like, Well fuck. So <laughs> is then is then that The implication would be when Grady says, You've always been the caretaker. Right is that Jack is actually some sort of reincarnation of a previous caretaker. I see. And therefore his soul was always sort of destined to end up back at the Overlook. Okay. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I, I do either. I don't think I need that explained to me. Yeah. So maybe don't look up that interview. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 th- I, that's, that's, for a movie that's so, so not specific with its, supernatural explanations yeah, yeah i feel like that's the, the, that being said they do a lot of silly ghost story stuff at the beginning like pointing out that it was yeah. built on an indian burial ground yes. and like yeah. all of this like really goofy hacky ghost story and shit. then there's a lot of silly ghost story haunted house style stuff towards the yeah. end with you know skeletons sitting on couches with a bottle of champagne yeah, on it, the table part of part of this movie feels to me like kubrick making a horror movie but there was a certain aspect of it that he really found interesting, and yeah. that's the family stuff yes. and how Jack ends up going after the family and the, how the ghosts influence him. Yeah. But then he's like, "Well, I guess it's a scary movie. We got to put some ghost shit in there. Yeah, we need some fucking skeletons or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. We let's need put a, some cobwebs up. Some and, blood coming out of a thing. Yeah, keep It'll it up fine. for the Halloween party we yeah. have afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, do you have a, Do you have a favorite scene in the movie? A favorite scene. Um. 
just to wrap up? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, it would either have to be uh dog suit guy. I mean, I don't know if I'd call that a scene. <laughs> More of a experience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think Jack and Danny in, in the uh, hedge maze. Yeah. Is probably yeah. my favorite scene. Um, just because, like you were talking about earlier with the lighting mm-hmm. and even the music cues in that scene and just everything kind of having come to this mm-hmm. and then having Danny outsmart his his opponent yeah. rather than try to physically beat him yep. or have, you know, because the, the hacky way of getting out of that situation would have been not killing Halloran. And having Halloran come in and sure. say, I'm going to save you sure. and him defeating Jack and scooping Danny up and carrying him away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so much more poignant that, you know, both Wendy and Danny and in different moments get to defeat their abuser. Yes. And I think yeah. that's a better way of, of doing that. So I think with that kind of motivation and then just the visual like beauty and also like creepiness of mm. it it's i just i can't say enough about it i love it yeah i think i think mine is as much as i love the 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 nightmare sequence mm. um or nightmare scene into the accusing him the all work and no play through yeah. the bat thing is just so good i that, mean it's like that was my that was i almost said that and then i was just like ah, yeah it's just it's, a it's plus really level i mean shelly duvall is is you know killing it or I mean, if you can call what's <laughs> happening to her while they're filming this, killing it. But um, yeah. Side note: Also, Kubrick was horrible to her. Right. Yeah. And it's, she was like in a lot of distress. I think. Yeah. It's one of those weird things where I mean, I I would never. I definitely do not condone torturing your actors for the sake of her performance. <laughs> and she, I, I I read a couple things where she said, you know, I I I don't hate him for it yeah. i don't hate the movie or the experience but i absolutely would never do it again right it's like okay <laughs> fair <laughs> yeah. fair assessment and apparently jack nicholson didn't really know that was going on because yeah. everyone was acted completely different towards him than they did towards her and i wow. guess that was by design and yeah it's just it's it's not a good way like that stuff and yeah well playing but, but yeah. on the other hand you know and i'm sorry to interrupt your no, your uh, your favorite scene moment but um the fact that the actor who plays danny danny lloyd mm. didn't know he was filming a horror movie right like they were right. so protective of him on set that they didn't want to upset him so they sort of told him like yeah you're it's just like a grown-up like a drama or whatever yes yeah, yeah. very very interesting the way that the different approaches to handling people but yeah i just i love that scene the acting is is fantastic and it's the first it's where the ball really starts going down the hill it's like iconic yeah it's so Uh, iconic even the way it starts where the way he walks in in front of the camera and he's completely in shadow and he's kind of like a phantom almost it's it's just so so well done i mean obviously kubrick is pretty good at making movies pretty good yeah um Yeah. yeah but uh uh yeah uh I I, ha- I haven't quite figured out how to end these shows yet. It's just the first show, so I haven't figured it out. Um, who would you recommend this to? If 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 a, if a person is like I'm into horror, mm-hmm. who would you recommend this to? I would recommend this to anybody who liked. Uh, if you've seen the thing, sure. Yep. I would absolutely just be like, "Yep, you want another snowy hellscape? Here mm-hmm. you go." Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually recommend this to people who don't necessarily like horror but like psychological thrillers yeah definitely like if you're not into jump scares and and you're not into gore but you love movies that are very atmospheric this Mm -hmm. is perfect for you yeah and i mean there's so much i think that we didn't even get into but we've been talking for an hour and uh yeah just watch the movie and and then make your own mind up i would i would recommend the tagline for this just (laughs) watch watch the the movie movie and make your own mind Yeah, what do you do and listen to a podcast about a movie Uh, I would recommend it to um, uh, families <laughs> and, uh, oh, okay, okay, and, okay, okay. and the elderly oh. in that, you know, even if you're an old person, getting out of the tub is still something that you can do with very effectively if yeah. you have purpose. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for us with The Shining. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, next time, let's hit the randomizer button. Next time we will be doing number 14 on the list, which is Ooh. Frankenstein. Oh, yes. 1931, which has a, a 100%. I actually didn't say what this was, ra- this, the rating on this was. But uh, the weird thing about this list is that it's an adjusted, it's an adjusted scale list, which oh. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if it's based on the number of 
whatever. So it's Frankenstein has a hundred percent, but his adjusted, uh, but its adjusted score is a hundred and six percent. So I'll have to figure out what that exactly means. But anyway, it's it's uh, it's a hundred percent. It's number fourteen. I was very surprised that. Uh, the Shining was number 101. I assumed it was going to yeah. be a lot higher. Same. The Rotten Tomato score, and this is only 85, but the adjusted huh. is 93. So I don't know. Is there? I don't know. Is there like uh, inflation over the years <laughs> with Rotten Tomato scores? I don't know. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's adjusted in relation to the other films on the list. Maybe you yeah. know, or or horror films in general. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, maybe, maybe I'll try and happen. figure it out. But uh, anyway. Yeah, we're uh, going to have a whole bulletin board with red string. Oh, yeah. And, oh, that, that goes without saying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, and join us next time for number 14, 1931's Frankenstein. Bye, everybody. Bye.